of today, we read another passage, Isaiah 5, from verse 1. And this passage speaks of the Israel, the people of the Lord, as his vineyard. Isaiah 5. From verse 1. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth Good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that there rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Let us now move to the New Testament in Luke, Luke 13, from verse 6. For us to have a better understanding, I will start reading from verse 1, but we'll focus on verses 6 through 9. There were, present at that season, there were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
all those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that there were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. Word of the Lord. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, a question. Are we more righteous than the Christian churches in Russia and Ukraine that are suffering from the war? More than 100,000 people, soldiers at least, have already died. Are we more righteous than the churches in China suffering from persecutions? What about the churches in Nigeria suffering at the hands of Islamic terrorists? What about those other churches in Congo, Liberia, facing civil wars, epidemics, and many other calamities? Are we less sinful than those other people, than the Christians of those other churches? And the answer is no. How can we know that we are less, whether we are less sinful or more sinful than them? For us Reformed Christians, my questions even border absurdity and considerable pride. Those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are called to mourn for them, to pray for them, and seek to help as much as we can. Now you might wonder, why those questions? Why? Because that's how many people thought in Jesus' time and still think today. For instance, the prosperity gospel people think that way. Which way? The way of the pagans 
and of the Jews of Jesus' time. In Jesus' times, many Jews thought that calamities happen only to the extremely sinful. Abundance was a sign of blessing, and calamity was a sign of curse from God. The rich ones were the ones who pleased God, and the ones dying in horror were the sinners by excellence, the one, those that God had cursed. And Jesus had to confront that mindset during his ministry. How did the confrontation happen? Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to die for our sins. On his way, he was giving various teachings. And after a while, the Pharisees started, started accusing him of casting out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Then in response, Jesus started a series of stern teachings. And one of those teachings was on the necessity of repenting before the arrival of God's judgment. Amid those teachings, some people interrupted him. They talked to him about some calamities that had recently occurred. And as we read, Wicked Pilate had killed some Galileans while they were in the process of making a sacrifice in God's temple. He mingled their blood with the blood of the sacrifice. Jesus, as usual, surprises his audience with his answer. He tells them, Do you think that those Galileans were the worst of sinners? No. Unless you repent, you will likewise suddenly perish when you expect it the least, and you will not be able to make things right with God. Lest you think that those calamities happen only to Galileans, a tower in one corner of Jerusalem suddenly Fail, fell, please, and killed 18 people. Do you think that those people were the greatest sinners in Jerusalem? And the answer to that is also no. Unless you repent, you will suddenly perish without the opportunity to turn from your sins. This call to repentance, when we still have the time, is the focus of our sermon of today. Therefore, it is my privilege to minister God's word to us under the following theme. The Lord warns us, repent now before it is too late. The Lord warns us, repent now before it is too late. And under this theme, we will see two points. First, the Lord has been patient enough. And second, the Lord gives us another opportunity. The Lord has been patient enough, and the Lord gives us another opportunity. Our first point, the Lord has been patient enough. 
my apologies, the quotations in my text are in the ESV. I forgot that we use the New King James Version in this congregation. In the first verse of our text we read, and he told this parable. We, sorry, we understand that Jesus as a great teacher is trying to impress on his people, on his listeners, how urgent it is for them to repent. And like all good teachers, Jesus uses illustrations. And now he's illustrating for them using a parable. He says, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. We notice several things in this statement. And what are those things? What do we notice concerning the fig tree? First, we notice that the fig tree was not a wild fig tree that grew up on its own somewhere outside in the wilderness. Someone had planted the fig tree. Where was the fig tree planted? The tree grew in a vineyard, and a vineyard is a kind of garden. That was, what was then a vineyard? A vineyard was a ground that a gardener or vine dresser took care of by fertilizing it, tilling it, and removing the weeds. And the one taking care of the vineyard, the gardener, is called vine dresser. And his job was to do all that is necessary for the vines to grow without, with the least amount of hindrance. Next we read, And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. The owner of the vineyard came and found no fruit. The Greek word here implies that the man kept coming season after season, week after week, looking inside the tree. And he had to come close to the tree because, the fig tree, the, because figs are very small and sometimes difficult to see from afar, especially when the tree is leafy. But after multiple trips to inspect the tree for fruit, the owner of the vineyard could find zero fruit. Then what did he do? We read that in verse 7, and he said to the vine dresser, the one taking care of the vineyard, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should he use up the ground? The owner, talking to the gardener, the one taking care of the vineyard, said, See, now for three years I have been coming again and again inspecting this tree, and it has produced nothing. Enough with this ungrateful tree. Please cut it down. It is using up space, taking up our time and using the nutrients the other vines could have used. Now, a question. Was the owner of the tree, of the, of the vineyard, impatient? And the answer is no. Three years were 
sufficient, was please sufficient time. Fig trees produce fruit twice per year. In other words, they had two seasons every year. But this fig tree had produced nothing for three years after reaching maturity. Thus, the owner was not at all impatient. He had waited for long enough, but the tree had disappointed him not once, not twice, not thrice, but six times. How will you feel if you were the owner coming to inspect the tree many times per season and having your expectations crushed for six seasons? You invest time and money and you have nothing in return. I am sure many of us won't even wait. Many of us will be so frustrated that we will not wait to be disappointed for six seasons. To bring it closer, imagine that you are an employer. You have a company or you are leading a department in a big company. You go through the process of hiring an, employ an, an employee. And from the first day of work, he receives all the benefits. And you train him. But for three years after the hiring, he remains unproductive. He should do nothing. He shows up to work, but that's all. He's very keen on work conditions, taking holidays and having a race, but he produces nothing. What will you do with that employee? Scripture sometimes portrays the Israelites as the Lord's vineyard or a vine planted in Israel as we read in Isaiah. These clues and the context of our text help us to understand that this situation of unproductivity, despite heavy investment, was the situation of God's people collectively and individually. God had shown patience and grace to the church for centuries. God called Abraham from the heathen. Out of Egypt, God freed his people, as we sang in Psalm 18, 80, please. From Babylon also, he brought them back. God sent them prophets day in and day out, rising up early in the morning, telling to the people to repent, to turn to the Lord. When the fullness of time had come, he sent John the Baptist saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Prepare the way of the Lord. The axe is already laid at the root of the tree. Repent. Finally, Jesus himself, the Lord of glory, arrives. And he, he has been preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He is on his final trek for the ultimate sacrifice for God's people. And he's calling them to repent before it is too late. Today, Jesus addresses us with the same call to repentance. As a community, we have received so much from the Lord. He has made us his covenant people. We have been hearing the gospel for many of us since our conception in the womb. 
As a covenant community, are we producing fruits in line with repentance? Are we becoming increasingly Christ-like, increasingly faithful? Is Jesus Christ exalted among us? Or do we take God's blessings for granted? Are we bringing, importing the world in our community? Are we importing the world's tastes, mindset, the world's priorities in our community? But the call doesn't apply to us only as a community. It applies to us also as individuals. As individuals, are we fighting against our indwelling sins, against our secret sins? Are we crying out to God continuously to give us victory? Are we serving God's people out of love for Christ? Do we truly love? Do we truly love in word and in deed? At the community as well as at the individual levels, the Lord expects fruits from us. He has been giving us what we need to be fruitful. He has been giving us all that we need for life and godliness. Let us then not be ungrateful. With this, we reach the end of our first point. Let us summarize what we have seen so far. We have seen that Jesus uses the imagery of a barren fig tree planted in a vineyard to impress upon the people the urgent need to repent. Then we saw that the barren fig tree represents God's people as a community and also as individuals. We apply to ourselves the call of repentance as a covenant people and also as individual members of the covenant. Now, let us proceed. For good reasons, the, vine the vineyard owner wants the vine dresser, the, the one taking care of the vineyard, to cut down the fig tree. Now, a question to the children of the congregation. Children, will they cut down the tree? And the answer is no, they will not. Why? Let us see then in our second point. Our second point, the Lord gives us another opportunity. In verses 8 and 9 we read, And he, meaning the vine dresser, the, the gardener, answered him, the owner, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, cut it down. The gardener, the one sweating in the vineyard, starts interceding for the barren fig tree. He requests the owner to give the fig tree another year. That is two other opportunities 
two seasons to produce fruit. And the vine dresser intercedes after working on the fig tree for more than three years. Remember, the tree is a mature tree, that is, a tree more than three years old. The, the three years that, we, that, that the, the, the text is speaking about here are only the three years when the tree was supposed to produce fruit. Thus we understand that the tree does not deserve at all an extension. But the vine dresser, the gardener, wants to go the extra mile of the extra mile. How? He wants to dig around the tree to loosen up its soil. But that's not all. He wants also to further enrich the soil by fertilizing it. People of the Lord, fig trees did not need fertilizers to produce fruits, except this tree of our text. Now let us return to the illustration that we use in our first point. You are the owner of a company, and you have an employee that you have been paying, but without any productivity in return. When the time to sack him comes, will you give him an additional year of training for skills development? Will you give him new tools? And the answer is no. Most people will say, sorry, the door is open. You had three years. I have given you improved work conditions. I have been paying you. Sorry, we will hire someone else. But in this parable, the owner and the vine dresser, the gardener, accept to give an extra opportunity to the tree, although the likelihood of production is extremely low. Dear congregation of the Lord, this is a picture of our God, of our heavenly Father. He is patient beyond measure, rich in loving kindness. He does not delight in the death of the rebellious. He wants the wicked to repent and live. God manifested this great patience toward the church of old, and that's why he could send them prophets after prophets. He could bring them back from Egypt, even from Babylon, and incline the Romans' heart not to destroy them completely. That's why God sent his son, knowing that he will come and people will crucify him. Who can be so patient and gracious as our Heavenly Father? And the answer is no one. No one can be so patient and gracious. God alone can. But God's patience has limits. We never know when it runs out. The church of old did not realize that God's patience was running thin. And instead of repenting, they killed the Christ and persecuted his apostles, provoking God's wrath to the extreme, showing that they had in fact become a false church. And ultimately, in AD 70, God's fury fell upon them like a volcano. 
Something similar happened with the churches in the East, those churches that Jesus warned in the book of Revelation. And the same happened to the churches in Northern Africa. All those countries from Morocco until Turkey that you see, who are to, that, which are today Muslim countries, were Christian countries. Therefore, for us, considering the boundaries of God's patience, we should, we ought to sober up, to sober up, please. As a community and as individuals, we must refrain from taking God's patience for granted. The fact that God is not punishing us immediately for every single sin does not mean that He is happy with our sins. His patience is supposed to lead us to repentance. Those who take God's patience for granted only accumulate wrath against themselves. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us turn to Him today. Christ is supreme, and in Him we have all that we need for life and godliness. We must, we must just ask Him, and He will produce in us fruits by His Holy Spirit. He will give us the energy, the wisdom, and the discipline that we need to use the means of grace and be fruitful as a covenant community and also as individual members of the covenant. We should not presume on God's patience, much less when we are reformed people, when we believe that repentance is a gift. In other words, since repentance is not in our power, it is better to turn to God now, asking Him, pleading with Him to incline our hearts to Him. Because we do not know we do not know that, we, please, because we know that we will not be able to simply switch repentance on when calamity or death strikes. Before we end, we should understand that this call to urgent repentance is in fact a call to gratefulness. Which parent will not warn his child who is getting engaged on the wrong path. How will you react if you see your toddler trying to put a steel nail into a power plug? How will you react if you see your teenage trying to take a picture, a selfie, dangerously close to the edge of a cliff? Jesus' love for us, his people, is by far deeper than any love that any parent, even the best parent, could ever manifest. And that's why in Scripture, he's the one who speaks the most about hell. That's why he's calling us to gratefulness today by warning us. People of God, shouldn't we then be grateful for all that God has done for us? He sacrificed his son for us when we were still dead in our sins and trespasses, when we were still his enemies. He allowed us to hear the gospel preached. He granted us to be in a faithful and confessional church. 
How many churches there are faithful and confessional? He gave us parents who did not abort us, but who taught us the gospel. We live in Canada, one of the most abundant places in the world. We have the net connection almost everywhere. And by internet access to so many resources to grow in the faith, to develop our gift for God's kingdom. Shouldn't we then pray to Jesus to make us bear fruit in keeping with repentance? How ungrateful will it be for us to remain barren despite all that we have received? How ungrateful will it be to be mere church goers, absent members of God's congregation? I plea with you, people of God, let us be grateful to Christ. Let us make it our aim to request Him constantly to make us bear fruit. Whenever calamity strikes around us, let us remember how gracious God has been to us, how gracious our Heavenly Father has been. And let us use that as an opportunity to spur ourselves on, please, by the power of the Holy Spirit, of course. We cannot do it by our own strength. Let us use it as an opportunity by the Spirit to spur ourselves on toward more and more gratefulness. Conclusion. What is the take-home message of this sermon? This passage teaches us on how Jesus confronted the pagan mindset that was making the Jews to think that calamities strike only the greatest sinners. He used the parable of the barren fig tree to teach them that they must repent when it is still possible, that they should show gratefulness to God when he is near, lest they be also surprised by calamities and died as enemies of God. We saw that Jesus' call to repentance also applies to us as a community, as covenant people, and also as individual members of the covenant. As an application, we saw that we must turn to Christ today, not tomorrow, but today and now. He died for our sin and has been investing in our lives. Please, let us not be ungrateful like the barren fig tree, lest we perish like the church of old. Instead, let us produce fruit by the Spirit in fruit in keeping with repentance by the Spirit, to the joy of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, to the satisfaction of Jesus Christ our Lord who died for us, and to the glory of our Heavenly Father. Amen.